with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Clothe yourselves. Did you ever ever hear the the phrase, clothes make the man? Did you ever hear that phrase, clothes make the man? I I did a little bit of research in terms of where it comes from. They're they're not quite sure where it comes from. Uh, Erasmus, the uh, philosopher in the the, uh, 16th century, uh, stated vestus virum facet, which means the man is his clothing. They think maybe that might be it. Or it's also translated clothes make the man. Shakespeare uh, said the, the apparel oft proclaims the man. Polonius says that in Hamlet. You remember, uh, remember when you were dating? You can, can we think back that far? Remember, remember, this is the lost art of dating. I, I call it the lost art. Remember what it was like when you went on a date? Remember what you did before you went on a date? You, uh, you called uh, this person up. You, you gave them a, a, a plan. You asked them to take them to a specific place usually. Um, remember what you did before the date? You would uh, shower before the date. Remember that? Shave or you, you just look, you want to look just so. You put on the nice clothes. You had a plan. You had money. You're on your best behavior. You know, because it's a date. You want to put a good, good impression, right? And uh, you really watched what you wore and how you behaved. I, first date I had with my wife. I met my wife in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, Campus Crusade had their summer training there. They also had some biblical courses that staff, their staff took. And, and I was there along with Renee. I met her. Um, she immediately liked me. And uh, I said, okay. <laughs> so... Uh, I asked her out. And uh, first official date was to a Mr. Steak restaurant. Remember Mr. Steak? Mr. Steak was, I miss Mr. Steak. Mr. Steak was a good place, good steak for good price. And uh, Fort Collins had one. Uh, I, I hung out at the Mr. Steak at Moorhead when it was there. Remember that? Um, so I, I t- here's our first date. I'm a best behavior. Remember, we sit down. We sit down at the booth. Menus are there, and uh, I look across this beautiful woman. I'm just really glad to be with her. And I say to her, "Order whatever you want on that menu. Anything you want. It's it's yours. Anything." She goes, "Anything? Yes." I said, "It'll be a pleasure watching you eat." It really, it just, I, I, I just, I was, I was trying to make the best impression possible. I remember she looked at me and she smiled and she ordered something really expensive, even for Mr. Steak. And I remember uh, ordering something less expensive because I didn't have enough money. <laughs> didn't matter, didn't matter one bit. I, I wanted to put a good impression, make a good impression. I want, I want to put uh, my best foot forward, and uh, the rest, of course, is his history, 37 years later. So let me ask you a question. What kind of clothes do you put on in your relationship? Obviously not these kinds of clothes, but what do you clothe yourself with in terms of your virtues? That's what Paul's talking about here. Previous verses in this chapter, we know what we need to take off. And... Uh, Verse 8 of, of Colossians 4, Paul says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, 
filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So we've got to take something off in order to put something on. These these qualities that he he lists in verse 8 are relationship killers. And so he he uses those qualities as a contrast with what he encourages us to do in the 12th verse of, of Colossians 3. I had a first started counseling and a man come to see me with his wife. He was very successful, professional, um, put together as one of these guys, sharp, you know, really, really always looked good and very eloquent in his speech. And, and uh, he and his wife came in and she was convinced he was having an affair, an extramarital affair. He said, absolutely not. He gave all the reasons why he wasn't. He was offended that she would even think that. And I remember uh, the day came three months later when she actually found out he was having an affair. And uh, she sent him in alone. And, and he sat in front of me and uh, he told me, yep, uh, I was having an affair. And I remember, I, and he didn't say, he didn't apologize to me. Not that I deserved an apology. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, one hand, I'm not expecting that, but I expected a little bit of, hey, sorry I misled you. Didn't do it at all. And I remember, I remember feeling offended. And then I thought, if I'm feeling offended, you can just multiply that by about a thousand for his wife. What are you clothing yourselves with? I, I, want, us, I want us to talk a little bit uh, the next few minutes about communication. And... You've heard lots of messages or lots of talks or read books on communication, and uh, this, is, this is fairly basic stuff, but I'm telling you, every, every time I review it for myself, I use it as a template for my life and my marriage as well. Because I want to be the kind of communicator that is going to be one that's going to share my heart, ultimately. I, I want to have that kind of a relationship with my wife. I'm convinced if you were to do nothing more than just to do those virtues in your relationship, your communication would be radically different. Think about it. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. So Paul's first focus, as we talked about last hour, was our, his, our spiritual heritage, our calling, being chosen, set apart, dearly loved. Now. This is how we practically live out the calling, and certainly in the context of our marriage. And I will tell you, there is nothing so easy as talking, but as difficult as communicating. Did you hear me? You can talk, talk, talk. But are you communicating? Are you getting through? I... I, Love these little articles that I see from time to time. Um, insurance company accident claims when people are trying to communicate what happened, and uh, something else, sort of so another picture emerges from what they're trying to communicate. Um, here, here are some of the examples. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. That's sort of a sad thing. I thought my window was down, but I found out it was up when I put my hand through it. This is interesting. 
uh, a truck back through my windshield into my wife's face. That's sort of like a jarring one. This, I love this one. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. It's like... <laughs> I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. 40 years is a long time on the road. I saw the slow-moving, sad-faced old gentleman as he bounced off the hood of my car. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. And my favorite from my times in the Northeast, the pedestrian didn't know which way to run, so I hit him. <laughs> so my wife, still to this day, my wife will look at me from, not, not as often as she did before, but she will look at me and she will say this, Jim Keller, and when she uses my first and last name, I need to pay attention. Jim Keller, we haven't talked lately. That's what she'll say. And I... I I always, sort of, I always sigh, sort of bob my head a little bit. And my initial response to that is, we talk all the time. I said, good morning to you. We're talking now. I mean, you know, we talk about our day. That's not what she means. She means we haven't, here's the word. I hear this all the time. We haven't connected. We haven't connected. I think we're doing just fine. After all, I'm a therapist. I should know, right? I, you know, I, I, I judge my own marriage perfect. There you go. Problem solved. No, it's not solved. I'm just flapping my gums. She's saying we need to talk. So let me just talk to you a little bit about the two components. I do this in my book as well. And uh, Rick mentioned the chapter, uh, Don't Talk So Much. And I am convinced that if people would realize that communication, the primary focus of communication is listening, that that, that would revolutionize the way you communicate in your marriage. You know what your problem is? This is, I'm getting personal now, okay? You ready? You know what your problem is? When you do have problems, you don't listen. Not really. And I call it listening between the lines. You don't listen. It's amazing to me how many times people will come to me and say, oh, my communication, my communication with my spouse, it's not good. No, that's not the, that's not the issue. Are you really coming to a place where you are listening? Many people want nothing more than someone to care enough to listen to them. James says it beautifully. He says, let everyone be quick to do what? Do you remember that? To hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. We'll talk a little bit more about anger next hour and conflict. But quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Mark Twain said, no word is ever as effective as the rightly timed pause. And when you pause, you're taking time, hopefully, to listen. I was in grad school learning to be a therapist. We were doing an ethics course. I don't know how this topic came up. This woman who was a therapist was teaching the class, and she said, you know, they've done studies on what clients want in their counselor and their therapist. And uh, guess what the number one quality they want 
in their, in their therapist. And so we're all, we're, we're guessing, well, they want someone to listen to them. We, they want someone to understand them. Close, 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 close. Here, here's, here's what she said. She said, what clients almost universally want is they want someone to like them. They want someone to be kind to them and, and embrace them and like them. And I say this in my book, and I do say this to a lot of my clients, not all, because I need to say it honestly, but at the end of a session, usually first session I have with a client, I will look at them and I say, you know, I like you. It always. I don't do it manipulatively. I want, I'm doing it from the heart, but it always has an effect. It stops people and they go, really? And sometimes they'll say, well, I like you too, which is a mutual benefit. I like to be liked. But it's changes, it changes the whole atmosphere of the communication. Do you listen like you like him? Do you listen like you like her? We all know poor listening habits. Pseudo listening, fake interest, you know, the uh-huhs, uh-huh, 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 yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it, right? Selective listening tunes in only for points of interest. The, the best modern singing group ever is Simon and Garfunkel. That's a fact. Take it to the bank. And the best line of any song written by Paul Simon is in the, the, the uh, song The Boxer. And the line goes like this. A man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. That's a great line. Because it's true. You can't get into selective listening. You can't get into protective listening where you can't hear something because it's too threatening. I was a proud owner of a Chevy Sprint. Remember Chevy Sprint? It was the only car I ever drove that had three cylinders, literally. Three cylinders. Who thought of that? But it was really a pretty nifty little car. I paid $6,000 for it, brand new. Drove it all the way down from New England to Florida and we moved there in 92. Didn't have air conditioning. I just loved the car. I gave it to my son, you know, just, <laughs> he wasn't thrilled, but it, it, was, it was transportation. <laughs> and no frills on it at all. Nothing. I mean, it didn't even have a passenger side, you know, rear view mirror on the door. You just had one. That's, that was enough. There you go. So one day, I get in the car, start it up, and the brake light's on. Well, the brake light meant that my my handbrake was up and you put it down and the brake light goes off. That's the way they remind you, really, not very technical. And I remember that day, lowering the handbrake and the brake light remained on. And I went, oh, ah, short somewhere, just like, this is such an unsophisticated car. And it just really bugged me. That, that thing never went off. Every time I drove the car, the brake light would stay on. I actually took a, a, a piece of duct tape and, and, and put it over the brake light because it just annoyed me so much. One day I got in, I could see it was still shining behind the duct tape. I, I fished around underneath the, uh, the handbrake, found the wires that connected it, and I pulled the wires up. I said, that'll do it. And the brake light stayed on. I took it in finally, and I said, hey, the brake light's on. We just fixed the short, and the guy says, hey, your brake light's on. Your brakes are bad. I go, nah, they don't do that in this car. I said, yeah, they got it hooked up. And I said, you're, 
He looked at my brakes. He said, your brakes were a week away from just melting together. <laughs> you know why? I didn't want to hear a bad message. You take the duct tape out. You put it over the warning lights in your communication. You're not a good listener. Got to listen. So, here, here, here are the attitudes that we need to have. A good listener listens with an attitude that your spouse's comments are top priority. And I recommend then that you don't have a television on, that you don't have your iPhone and you're texting, saying, yeah, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening. Boy, that really makes me mad, right? It means that you give them eye contact, you look them in the eye. I literally have couples do this in my office. I will have them, and, and couples that are fighting do not want to look each other in the eye. And I will sit there and say, we're not going on until you look each other in the eye. They don't like me when they do that. I mean, it's just, I, it's all they can do just to turn and look at each other. But you don't listen without having eye contact, really. Not, not effectively. You listen with an attitude that this person is not your enemy. This person is not the person that you're trying to convince or fight, but you're trying to understand what your husband or your wife is, is saying. And then you've got to express. You've got to take it the next step, and you've got to be able to communicate as well. I don't know how you do in communication. Uh, I'm an introvert. I mean, it's easy for me to be up here and talking in groups. If I were in a group of people I don't know, I would just have a hard time. I, you know, it's just, I had learned over time to say the right questions, be the right kind of person, but it's not easy for me to communicate one-on-one, -on -one, like it is for my wife. My wife, she's, it's much easier. People have differing abilities, and, and uh, some people communicate far better than others do. But we're still called to communicate. So regardless of the pattern that you bring in in terms of your communication, you do have a responsibility. They're, they're, men and women are different in this area. Women, as, as a rule, tend to want to communicate more than men do. Men want to be more to the point. You know, women like groups more than men do. You know, if you ever been in a restaurant and, and uh, you're with couples and all of a sudden one wife gets up, is going to the restroom, what happens? All the other wives get up and go to the restroom. Just like, okay, there they go. And uh, they all come back together, they're all smiling, they've talked about something, they're all having a great time, <laughs> right? What happens when a man gets up to go to the bathroom? He goes alone. <laughs> he goes alone. What happens if another man wants to go with him? It's weird. <laughs> Men have rules in the restroom. You look straight ahead, you don't talk. And if you see someone who knows you, you have to wash your hands. So that's, that's the rule. <laughs> I gave this illustration at a conference in New England one time, and we, the, the staff went out to dinner that night. I got up to go to the bathroom, and every one of those guys, five guys, followed me into the bathroom. <laughs> I was so mad. But every table in that restaurant, they were turning and watching us go. It was just so embarrassing. Gosh. 
A lot of things hinder us from communicating. Uh, whatever your family of origin, how you communicated, it's something you've got to address and begin to do. Expressing ourselves involves a risk of being emotionally intimate. Emotional intimacy involves expressing your feelings, your emotions, with someone who's committed to you. It begins by entrusting yourself to God and it follows by entrusting yourself to your spouse. So I want us to, I want us to look at these character qualities in terms of this, this whole idea of putting these on when it comes to communication. And here's the challenge I have for you, and this is really, this is sort of, it borders on the simplistic, but I want you to try it. I want you to get, when you go home, or sometime uh, later next week, get, get five three-by-five cards, and get a Sharpie, and write out each of those virtues, one on each card. Just, just write them out, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, just write them out. The next time you have a conversation, why don't you get those cards out and put them on the table so you can see them. So those virtues you're being continually reminded of. So whatever you speak and however you listen, you're listening with those, those virtues in mind. Clothe yourselves. The, the, the Greek word is indio. It, it means literally to sink into something. It means to just wrap it around yourself. I have, I have clothes at home that I just sink into. I have a pair of gray gym shorts that I would wear every day of my life if I could get away with it. They're not very attractive, but they are so comfortable. They just, they're just part of me, you know? And my wife says, are you wearing those again? I go, yes, it's, it's me. Or I'll wear other stuff, and my wife says, you wearing that tonight? I go, nope, just trying it on for a while. <laughs> So Paul says, okay, you're gonna clothe yourselves in something? Here, clothe yourselves in this. Compassion. The, the Greek word literally means spleen, and the spleen was where, in, in ancient days, they felt that the seed of your passions, your emotions came from. It's the seed of the more tender affections. And it's, it, 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 it talks about a heart where mercy resides. Compassion, pity, mercy, heart of compassion. When we moved from Moorhead to New England, um, it was got a U-Haul truck, had a Dodge Dart swinger that, that we towed behind the uh, truck. It was what a, what a car. And uh, got there, moved into an apartment. My wife brought her plants, plants that she had when she was single. And uh, there were about eight, uh, seven or eight of them, and they, they were really important to her. And we went through Wisconsin, visited a relative, an uncle of hers that just had a green thumb, and, and uh, she said, hey, she said, how do you do the plants? These are beautiful. And he said, well, this, I use this fertilizer. He gave her a bag. So use this. She said, okay. So we got moved into our house. She got this fertilizer, and I and, uh, was going to feed the plants. And I came home one day, and she was devastated, tears. You know, what's wrong? What happened? She goes, my plants. And what happened? She goes, I put the fertilizer on. And I went to each plant, and, and her uncle didn't tell her the amount to put on. And in sort of a more is better effort, she just put handfuls of, of uh, 
fertilizer on, on each of these plants and burn them to death. These little plant cries of agony were going on in our house, little screams of <laughs> just dead. And I'm going, ah, you know, I'm a man. We'll get new plants. <laughs> Stop crying. Stop it. You got new plants. He goes, you don't understand. I've had these plants with me for years, and they've been all these memories, and I've killed them. They're dead. Here's what women want, men. I'm just going to speak to you just for the next couple minutes. Uh, you come home, your wife's in tears. Uh, you see she's in tears. You want those tears to stop, right? It will not happen that easily. I'm just telling you man to man. Your wife is in a metaphorical mud puddle. She's sitting down in that mud puddle. You come home. Your natural response is to grab her and pull her out of that mud puddle. Your wife will not come out of that mud puddle. Here's what your wife wants. Your wife wants you to get in the mud puddle. Which is totally illogical, but just trust me. <laughs> she wants you in the mud puddle. She wants you to sit down in the mud puddle. Not just standing, she wants you just to scoot your little rear in right down with her. She wants you to sit there for a while. She wants you to splash a little mud up around. Then and only then may you take her by the hand and lift her up and get her out. You both need to be cleaned up, but oh well, right? That's what your wife wants. You're thinking, why do I have to do that? I'll tell you why I have to do it. Because the first thing you need to put on is compassion. And you don't have the compassion until you're sitting in the mud puddle. And if you don't want to go in the mud puddle, it's not going to work in terms of your communication. That's love. That's the first thing we're called to clothe ourselves with. Second thing, kindness. Christotos is, is, the, is the Greek word, pleasant, mild, good. Jesus is talking about God the Father in Luke 6.35. I love this quote. For God is kind to whom? To the unthankful and evil. Think about that for a while. Well, I'll be kind to you if you're kind to me. Huh? Doesn't work. It does, it's, it's, it's not a quid pro quo equation. We're called on to be kind. Couples come into my office regularly with conflicts, and they will show those, demonstrate, which I don't appreciate all that much, but they need to show me. Okay, here's our conflict. Bam, 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 back and forth, back, forth, back, forth. I had a couple in my office three months ago. First session, they just spent like 40 minutes arguing. And I, you know, it's, they're paying a fee. You know, I'll let them go for a while. And I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just watching a tennis match. I'm just going back and forth. They're just reloading, just back and forth, just reloading. And, at the, and finally, they ran out of some steam. And I said, I raised, I raised my hand. Finally, the husband said, what? And I said, can I say something? And uh, he said, okay. I said, look, I said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to say someone's right or wrong here? 
You really think, did you come to me for that? Are you trying to convince me that you're right and she's wrong? Or you're right and he's wrong? And they said, well, sort of. So I'm not going to do that. So that's not my job. My job is to get you to communicate in a better way so you can get to the place where you need to be. So here's what we're going to do. I said, for the next 15 minutes that we had left in the session, I said, you're going you're to speak to each other like you like each other. You're going to say nice things to each other. And if you have something hard to say, you're going to find a good way to say it. And they looked at me and said, really? I said, yes, that's what you're going to do. So they're sort of stunned because they've, they're both, sorry, I'm doing this when I walk here. Uh, they're both stunned because they just, they're so angry with each other. But now I've, I've imposed kindness on them. So the husband looks at the wife I said, you have to look at each other. And he looks at her and he says, well, dear. And you know what she did? She just started to laugh. She just started to giggle. And he started to giggle. And I discovered giggle therapy at that time. It's just like, <laughs> really? They just, it was so weird that it was funny to them, that they could talk in a way that was kind. And in five minutes, they solved a problem that they had been working on for four months with some help. But they forgot to be kind. I, I used to say this to my kids all the time. Will you just be nice? You ever say that to your kids? Be nice. They, they look at me like, what does that mean, be nice? Well, it means be kind. Humility. Third thing you clothe yourselves with. It means literally have a low mind. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You've heard that probably before. Philippians 2, 3. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do you have a relationship where that's true? Where, where, you, where you are esteeming each other and, and uh, considering each other as better than yourself. I had a uh, errand I had to rent our sports authority. You have sports authorities up here? I, you know, went to, I, I forget what I was buying. Oh, I, I know what it was. I had to pick up my tennis racket that I was having restrung. And so I go to the desk, have my paper, and it's busy. And I'm like, you know, I'm in a hurry. So I, I'm, I'm, I just, I want to get my tennis racket. I just want to go. And um, finally, uh, one of the clerks says, hey, okay, here it is. And, and I saw there were two clerks working in these long lines. One had been there for a while. I could see the other one was being trained. And so, you know, that's why the, the, there was a backup. And I just, I just wanted to get going. And uh, she said, okay. And I mean, she took it back, and it took a while. And finally, she comes back with my restrung racket. There it is. She said, you have to check out. And I wanted to check out with her because she was the fast one. She said, you'll need to check out with him. I went, oh. I'm important and I'm in a hurry, right? So this, this uh, clerk had had his back to me the whole time and finally I walked around and it was a, a young African-American guy, good-looking guy, and he had this big cross right hanging right in the middle of his chest. And I'm going, 
And I don't know what the cross meant, but I mean, he was displaying it pretty prominently. And I assume it meant something to him, but it sure meant something to me. Because I tell you why God used that cross to talk to me. He said, you think you're so important. And it, he took a long time to check me out. And I didn't mind. Because you know what God's called me to do and what he's called you to do when you talk to each other? You're going to talk to each other in a way where you're going to put the other person in front of yourself. I'm not import, more important than him. Who do I think I am? Who do you think you are? Humility. Gentleness. Gentleness. This is mildness or meekness. Timothy says, those who oppose the Lord's servant, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. Gentleness is a theme Paul uses all through his letters. It's a quality that he mentions often. Are you gentle in your communication? And the last one is patience. Long-suffering is, is, is the old English word for it. I like that word, long-suffering. Macro, long, thymia, anger. The, you, 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 you take a long time before you're, you're put in a place where you're angry. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know what the difference between being a good husband and a bad husband? I found this out. Here's the difference between being a good husband and a bad husband. It's a little bit simplistic, but you'll remember it. Difference between me being a good husband and a bad husband is five seconds. Because I get in more trouble when I just spout something off the top of my head and don't think about what I'm saying first. And what I would encourage you to do is just sort of impose the five-second rule on yourself and say, let me think about this before I say it. I went to a German summer school. I was a German major in college. And it was in Portland, Oregon. We could only speak German the whole summer. Couldn't listen to any English. I mean, we, had, we were inundated with German. I wasn't fluent. Do you, ever, do you ever, in a culture where you have to speak in another language and you just have to, oh, you just have to go through the process of putting it together? And I remember all that summer trying to think how I'm going to say this in German. And by the time I got to the point where I was going to say it, half the things I was going to say didn't need to be said. Why? Because I'd imposed little governor there. It was imposed patience. Be patient in your communication. I married my wife in the summer of 1976, our way of celebrating the bicentennial. And uh, we went to Moorhead, Minnesota. That's where I was assigned. We were there for one year before we moved on. There was a Mr. Steak right on the interstate there, right in front of our apartment building. We were back about, hmm, I'd say a week. And we said, let's go to Mr. Steak. Same restaurant where we had our first date. Same kind of booth, same kind of menu. I sat across from her, I looked at her and I said, you know, ground steak special sure looks good. <laughs> I'll never forget she looked up. She said, oh, a little different from our first date. I 
forgot, I forgot what to wear that night. I didn't put on the virtues. I didn't put her first. What are you clothing your heart with in your marriage, literally? Because I will tell you, in the context of this passage, clothes do make the man, and they do make the woman. So do that little, do that little uh, exercise with the uh, three by five cards and see how that works next time you have a, a conversation, okay? All right, I'm right up on 11. Let's take a 15 minute break and uh, we'll do our last session after that. Make sure I'm on here. Yeah, just was gonna let you know uh, there are books for sale if you'd like to stop by the table, take